and thank you, Jesse, and the, the band. Man, my spirit is ready. And, and, you know, I love that video. I find it so beautiful and so compelling. And this might surprise you, but it also has a lot of biblical truth in it. You see, there's only a few times in the Bible where we see a visual image of the Holy Spirit portrayed, a description of the Holy Spirit. One of them is when Jesus is baptized, and Matthew writes about this, and John the Baptist puts Jesus under the water, and as Jesus is coming up out of the water, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended like a dove upon him. And so we see that dove image. Another description we we get is in Acts chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised is finally coming upon all the believers, and it says it goes out like a rushing wind, and it was like fingers of flame filling the believers. And again, that image captures the beauty and the reality of that moment. And so I love that video, but there's actually another reason why I really like that video. Because it captures the mystery of the Holy Spirit. When I say mystery, something inside me gets a little bit tense. Because I used to be an atheist. And so as I sit here teaching on the Holy Spirit, or what we call the Holy Ghost, that word ghost conjures up certain thoughts. I usually relegate the ghost ghost to science fiction. And I think all of us do. And we all understand that science fiction is just another way of saying fantasy or fairy tale. And so when we see a science fiction movie like Back to the Future and we see Doc sending Marty McFly back to 1955 in a DeLorean and then finding the power to send him back to the future, we all know that's not true. Right? You all know that, right? Just, just being sure. Okay. And so that sets up attention to me because when I was an atheist and someone would ask me, why don't you believe? I would, I would usually say several things, but one of the things I would say is, well, who can believe in like angels with halos and devils with pitchforks? And, and that was really an arrogant way to put it because what I was doing is I was taking a very complex spiritual reality and I was turning it into a childish cartoon version of faith. What was going on is I didn't fully understand it. I couldn't fully grasp it, so I was rejecting it. But what I didn't realize at that time is I was holding the spiritual realities of Christianity to a much higher standard than I was holding science and other areas of my life. So I went to the U.S. Naval Academy. I was an engineer, and one of the courses we had to take was quantum physics, this was back in the early days when they were first starting to understand about string theory and dark matter and black holes. And the truth of the matter is there's only a few people in the entire world who fully grasp those complexities. And let me tell you, I was not one of them, okay? I got a C in that course. The only C I ever got, and it angered me, but it, what it made me realize was that I have a limited ability in my mind to grasp all things. And so this standard that I was holding Christianity to was something that I wasn't doing with anything else. And and what I want to suggest today, what I want to encourage everyone here today, is we all put our full faith into things we don't fully understand. And that's perfectly okay. 
It's not a cop-out. Let me give you one example. If I asked everyone in here, one by one, to explain to me the molecular structure of penicillin and, and how when you swallow it, it somehow dissolves into your body and what's happening at the molecular level and the cellular level as penicillin goes about your body, in your bloodstream, killing off bacteria, I think there's very few, if anybody, who could tell me what was really going on at the molecular level. And yet, if I asked for a show of hands of everyone in here who believed in the truth of antibiotics, I think every single person would raise their hand. And why is that? Because we've all used them and it works. And what I want to suggest to you is that is a perfectly normal and good way to test something for its truth. And I have to, again, just encourage you that our faith is true. When I was an unhappy, depressed atheist, I didn't become a Christian so that it would save my marriage and make me happy, although it did save my marriage and make me happy. I couldn't put my faith in something that was a fairy tale. The reason I became a Christian is I believe with all my heart, everything within me, that it was the truth. And so today, as we study this very complex reality, I want to remind us again as we get started that our faith is built on the bedrock of truth. And maybe you will grasp, uh, as we study the Holy Spirit over the next couple of weeks, you'll grasp these realities very easily, and I hope you do. Some of you may struggle with it, as, as I do. And all I want to say to you is these are truth. And just because we can't grasp them intellectually doesn't mean they're not truth. And what I want to encourage everyone in here, whether you fully believe and understand or not, is to put into practice the principles I'm about to talk about with the Holy Spirit. And so now I'm going to ask God, uh, the good Lord, to guide us as we study his word. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful for the Holy Spirit. And, and as I, even as I pray, I'm reminded that Jesus said that after he left, the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. And so, Father, please, would you be here today? and guide us. We want to know your truth and your reality more each and every day. And in my heart, my desire is that these words go out in the power of the Holy Spirit so that my friends here can be uplifted and strengthened by them. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is our second week in our study of the Holy Spirit. Uh, next week, I will be teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So if you've ever wondered about gifts and, and what gifts God may have given you, come next week and you'll hear all about that as I teach on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But I want to give us a recap to where we got last week. Dave gave a survey, an overview of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And what we learned to catch us up is that the night before his crucifixion, Jesus is in an upper room talking with his guys, his twelve, he says, he's trying to comfort them. He says, I'm going to be going away. But here's a promise I'm going to make to you. Someone's going to come. I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send a counselor, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. The next day, Jesus is crucified. He spends three days in the grave, rises from the dead. And for the next 40 days, he spends it with his 
apostles and other believers in Jerusalem. And during that 40 days, he once again reminded them that when he left and went to be with his father, the Holy Spirit would come back. So let's take a look at that reminder. It's in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you have your Bibles, I hope you'll open that, your Bibles to that verse. If not, I think you'll be able to follow along on the screen. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And this is Jesus speaking. He said, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, that was 5. <laughs> verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And and if you have your Bibles there, why don't you underline the word power? You will receive power. And if you don't have your Bible, you don't don't want to underline that, just, just make a mental note of that word power. And so then what happens is, sure enough, Jesus ascends to heaven to be with his Father. And he's told them to remain there. And for the next 10 days, they're sitting around doing nothing in Jerusalem. That must have been a really long 10 days. They're not working. They were told just to stay and wait. And they're just staying and waiting. And I'm sure after a few days, things got a little tense. But they did stay and wait, as Jesus instructed. And then on the day of Pentecost, which means 50 days after his resurrection. So 10 days after Jesus was here for 40 days after his resurrection. 10 more days on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. And that's one of the images we talked about earlier. And it's in uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, and that's what I was talking about in the image, tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. Now, the key word here that I want us to remember is filled. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, that is the consistent testimony throughout the New Testament. As you read the rest of the scripture, after Jesus ascends to heaven and the Holy Spirit comes down to earth and dwells all believers, what the Bible says is that when you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit fills you. You are indwelled by the very Spirit of the living God. Now, let's go back to that Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Remember I told you underline power? You see, the, the language spoken at this time in all the known world, was the language of Greek. And so when Dr. Luke was writing the book of Acts, he was writing it in the Greek language. And so in that verse, it says, you will be filled with power, and that power is a Greek word. And I think we have that. It's dunamis. Maybe we don't. It's the word dunamis. And the word dunamis is the, is the uh, root word from which we get dynamite. And so we were filled with this explosive power, almost like dynamite. That's what, this, that's what the scripture is trying to communicate to us. And my question as we sit here today is, is that a reality in your life? I'm wondering if, if anyone here has ever met someone who seems to have that power of God in them. Maybe 
when they pray, it's just like, wow, that is a powerful prayer. It's almost like God should answer that prayer. It's so powerful. Or, or maybe when they're going through difficult times, crises in their life, they just seem so strong and unshakable and powerful in their faith. I think we've all met people like that. And I don't know about you, but I want to be more like that. And so the question is, how does that happen? Well, there's many different ways that the reality of the power of the Holy Spirit can manifest in our life. I don't have time to go through all of them. I'm just going to pick out three today that I want to talk to you about. Three ways that the power of the Holy Spirit can manifest in your life. The first way is we saw that in chapter 1, verse 8. The power of the Holy Spirit can can help us as we share our faith and make it more effective. And so what we saw there, as we looked at that verse, is Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is going to come, and then you all are going to be my witnesses. He's talking to his 11 now. Judas has committed suicide. So his 11 apostles, he says, you are going to be my witnesses to take the gospel throughout Jerusalem, Judea, and all the ends of the earth. Now, if you're familiar a little bit with the Bible, that should surprise you. Because just 40 days before, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And who should come for him? The Roman soldiers. This is the the dramatic moment. This is when they've come to take Jesus away, and the, the 12 guys who he has poured his life into, his closest friends, the guys who have sworn to die for him, what do they do? They scatter like a bunch of frightened rabbits. One guy, Peter, kind of hangs out on the very farthest fringes and sort of follows as they take Jesus away. And then they take Jesus in for a trial and he's hanging out outside. And somebody says, hey, I think I recognize you. Aren't you with that guy, Jesus? No, no, that's not me. Three times he denies Jesus. And the last time he's cursing, saying, no, I have nothing to do with that man. And Jesus is entrusting those guys with going out throughout the world. You have to understand what it was even like to travel in those days. There was roving gangs of bandits that, that were out on the roads as you're going from city to city, and they would kill you and take your stuff. It was a fearful thing to travel in those days, not to mention the persecution all through the Roman Empire. We saw that right away that these guys were persecuted for their faith. And to think that those guys who scattered like frightened rabbits would be the messengers. And I'm sure they were like, us, you know. uh." But they didn't know something that Jesus knew. Jesus knew that they were going to get the power of the Holy Spirit. And so 2,000 years ago, 11 men, filled with the power of this Holy Spirit, walked off and changed the world. Those 11 men spread the gospel around the known world so that countless people came to faith in Jesus. And our world has never been the same because of those 11 men. And that's the power that the Holy Spirit can give you. Now, I've seen this power in a very tangible way in my life. Several years back, 
there was a, a woman at my church who was going through a spiritual journey. She did not believe in Jesus. She'd heard that I'd had to, had to ask a lot of questions. So he came to our house, and Jan and I had dinner with her, and, and she was peppering me with questions because she, she kind of wanted to believe, but she was right on the fence. And, and I think I was at my most brilliant self. I was coming up with all the great arguments. Uh, you know, I'm a lawyer, and I was sure I was being so persuasive with her and explaining all of her questions. And it was like nothing was happening. And I was getting a little frustrated. And we were out on our patio, I still remember, and, and Jan has been quiet most of the night, just praying as she often does. And, and she kind of looks up. There's a beautiful moon. You can actually see the stars, which doesn't happen all that often in Houston. She says, you know, maybe this doesn't help, but my faith has always been so simple. I, I see the moon. I see the stars and the complexity and the beauty of the universe. And there's a deep knowing that this is the truth. And it was almost like a light went on in this woman's eyes. And she was like, you know what? I've always had that same kind of knowing. And she asked a couple more questions. And that night, she put her faith in Jesus. She chose to follow Jesus and decided to get baptized. And, you know, you'd think I'd celebrate, but after she left, I was a little irritated, okay? (laughs) Here I was, had all these brilliant arguments, And Jan just had this simple word of truth, and it seemed to have the most impact of the whole evening. And I think I understand that. As I examined my my heart and my motives, I think I was arguing for reasons of my own significance. I think it was my ego. I, I needed to be able to persuade her. I needed to be able to convince her. I was a lawyer after all. And I think Jan, who was quietly sitting there, was more in touch with the power of the Holy Spirit. And finally, when the Spirit prompted her, she spoke. And I'm convinced to this day that's why it had so much impact. And so how does this help you? You know, I just want to say that it really is one of our responsibilities as Christians to go out and, and give people the, the explanation of the gospel. And that doesn't mean we have to go door to door. You know, I... I've never seen that being very effective, but if God puts that on your heart and that you believe the Spirit is in it, then go, because it does help sometimes. What I'm talking about is another way, and it's described in the, in the epistle of 1 Peter, and Peter writes, he says, always be prepared, listen to this, always be prepared to give an answer when someone asks you the reason for the hope that you have. And that's what I was doing that night. I was giving the reason, I was giving an answer when she asked me the reason for my hope. And what I want to suggest to you is it won't happen all that often that somebody comes up and directly asks you. All that does happen sometimes. But I think there are many times in our lives when we're around people and that question really is there. It's more lingering in the air. So, you know, maybe you know someone who's going through a divorce or had a death in the family or a job, get a job layoff or something like that. And hopefully you're loving them through that. You're walking with them through that. And if you do, I want to suggest be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Because those are the moments when sometimes you'll sense in the air there's a question. Is there more to life? Is there something else? Is there, is there something else that, that has, gives life meaning? And when you sense that question hanging in the air, if you do, that might be the moment God is prompting you to answer the question and give them the reason for the hope that you have. And if you do that and are sensitive to the power of the Spirit, I believe the power of the Spirit will go forth and effectively help you communicate.
So that's the first practical power that I, I see in here. The next one is uh, a verse in Romans 15. And if you've got your Bibles, open it to Romans 15, verse 13. And this is what that verse says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit. Who here would like to overflow with hope? <laughs> I know I would. This is, of, of all the verses and of the things I'm going to touch on today, this is the one I'm most grateful for. Because I have difficulty sometimes with hope, folks. I I'm, have a little bit of a melancholy personality. There's times when I can kind of go into a black hole. I can get really down almost to the point of being depressed. Even sometimes have trouble getting out of bed. And I was actually kind of like that Monday morning. Now, Monday morning is when our Rock Hill staff meeting occurs. So I show up at the staff meeting, and as often happens, someone says, how's everybody doing? And I just couldn't hold it back. I, I just said, I'm not doing very good. And people encouraged me, and they prayed for me. And as I began to share, I began to realize, I think, why I was feeling that way. I'm actually a sugar addict. I really am. And so when I start to get a little down, feel a little hopeless, I will go and oh, I'm going to have a little sugar. I'm going to eat a couple of cookies. Except for me, it, it isn't just a couple of cookies. It, it really is like 15 or 20 to the point where I can't stop, to the point where my stomach is hurting. And I, and I get that sugar high. I, I start bouncing off the walls and, and get totally crazy and wired. And, and for a while, an hour or two, I feel great. And then the crash comes. And I feel worse than ever. And, and as I was sharing that, somebody else on our staff, I hope you don't think our staff is all messed up, but somebody else on our staff <laughs> said, you know, sometimes I get overwhelmed and, and get down. And what I do is I tend to escape into books. I can start reading books, and for days on end, all I do is read and ignore some of the responsibilities and the realities of this world. And just like you, when I'm done with that, I don't feel better. I feel worse. Folks, please, I hope you don't think this is a trivial or worthless example. You know, I eat too much sugar. You know, I love the lofty doctrines of our faith. I love those beautiful, exalted concepts of God that inspire us. But I also want you to know that if our faith doesn't meet us right where we are, if our faith doesn't speak to and address the battles that rage around us every day, what good is it? And what I want to suggest to you is that this verse gives us a lot of hope. And so I asked this woman, well, what do you do when you're tempted and you, and you know that reading isn't going to be the answer? And she said, there's a verse in Exodus that I love that helps me. And I think we have that verse. And it's Exodus 14, 14. And that verse says, I am the Lord. I will fight for you. You need only be still. And somehow that really resonated with me because she was saying, sometimes I just wait. 
and that feeling goes away and I can go, go on about my business because the Lord has fought for me. And I've experienced the same thing. And let me bring us back to that 15.13 verse, Romans 15.13. I want you to notice there's actually a condition in this verse. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. So what's the condition there to overflow with hope? You must trust in him. And that's really what she was doing. She was waiting and saying, I can't do this. I'm trusting in you. In Exodus 14, 14, and the Lord will fight for you if you be still. And I realized the truth of those two scriptures working in interaction because I've seen that same thing myself. There's times when, and you know, folks, maybe, maybe your default is not sugar or reading, but I think so many of us have defaults. You know, maybe when you get a little down, you like to go shopping, and you, and you just go shopping, and, oh, I'm just going to buy something, and you end up overspending. Maybe your default is eating. Maybe, maybe you just, I'm just going to have something, and you find yourself just overeating. Maybe it's drinking too much. Maybe it's spending time online in places you shouldn't be spending time. I don't know what your default is. But I've experienced that feeling that this urge is so strong. I know it's wrong, but this urge is so strong. I've got to give into it. It's never going to go away, and, and I won't be able to hold out forever. And what she reminded me is something I have experienced on occasion when I take the time to wait. It's a lie that that urge will never go away. If you'll just wait and let the Lord fight for you, I believe you'll see victory and you'll be overflowing with hope by the power of the Spirit. And so that's the second very practical way I see that this, um, this, the power of the Spirit helps us in our life. The third way is a way that gives me you know, if this verse gives me the most, uh, that I'm most grateful for, there's another verse that talks about something that makes me most comforted. And, and it's a verse that has to do with Paul finishing the race. Some of us have heard about finishing the race. It's, it's something I long to do, finish the race well. And this was a phrase that Paul wrote to his friend Timothy in the, in the epistle of 1 Timothy. And Paul is near death. And he's writing to Timothy, and he's saying, I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. And you know, I long with all my heart to do that. But there's times when I'm concerned about that. I'm aware, because I I studied the Bible, that what happened back in the Garden of Eden was that Adam and Eve violated God's laws. They disobeyed him. They revolted against him. They rebelled against him. And that fractured. It it destroyed the relationship with God. And what sometimes comes into my head is, have I disobeyed God? Have I gone so far from what I'm supposed to be like? that I've destroyed that relationship. I'm no longer God's. I no longer belong to him. I'm no longer going to finish the race. I'm not going to get to spend eternity in heaven. 
And you may think, wow, that's kind of crazy, Al, but I'm the guy who's preaching up here. And, and I'm ashamed to say this, but if, you, if there was a videotape of my worst moments over the past month, my worst moments in the way I treated Jan, my wife, my worst moments driving the, the freeways of, of San Antonio, I would be so thoroughly embarrassed. But even worse, if they could videotape the darkest moments in my heart, those moments of greed, those hateful thoughts, those evil thoughts, those mean-spirited thoughts, if they could somehow project those, I just want to crawl out of here. And I'm so aware of how far my thought life and my behavior diverges from what I believe God expects of me as his son. And there are times when I wrestle with that and, and just cry out to God, am I really still yours? And, and so this verse, these two verses actually comfort me the most. And it's in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And this is what the Bible says. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I can't tell you how that nourishes my soul. To know that the Holy Spirit, when it came and indwelt me, is the deposit guaranteeing my redemption. Now, that verse, as you probably noticed, also has a condition in it, doesn't it? It says, having heard the word of the gospel, you believed. You see, everything I've been talking about today has to do with people who put their faith in Jesus. What it's saying is, put your faith in the gospel. The gospel is so simple, folks. It really is. We can't get to God, but God made a way to get to us. You see, every other faith, every other religion says, here's a blueprint for how you can make your way back to God. That's not what Christianity said. There's a reason it's called the gospel, good news. When those 11 men walked off and changed the world, they were bringing news. They weren't bringing another blueprint, you have to do these acts of work to get back to God. They were bringing news of an incredible event, news that God had become flesh and dwelt among us and died for us and resurrected from the dead. And all we had to do was put our faith in him and it was finished. That's Good news. That's gospel. If you've never done that, folks, why not today? Why not today? And if you have done that, then I hope this verse gives you as much comfort as it gives me. I want to finish this race well. I really do. There's been times when I've run races, and I I used to run pretty you know, try, try, always trying to get really good times. 
And occasionally I would run a race, you know, for training purposes. And I'd just sort of be jogging, and I'd cross the finish line. And, you know, I had still had a lot left in me, but I was just a, sort of a training run. But, you know, that, that never felt right. <laughs> when I cross the finish line at the end of my life, I want to be spent. I want to collapse into the arms of Jesus. That's the way I want to finish. And I know the Holy Spirit will do that for me. And it will do that for you, one of the most comforting powers of the Holy Spirit. You know, back at the beginning, I talked about Back to the Future. And we probably all remember that movie. One of the primary plot lines in that movie was Marty was back in 1955. It's like, how am I going to get back to the future? Where am I going to get the power? And they watch a video from 1985, and it turns out, Doc says, you're going to need 1.21 gigawatts. And so in 1955, he's showing Doc that video, and Doc says, 1.21 gigawatts, and he stumbles around the room. He says, oh, my God, Marty, where are we going to get that power? And, of course, the answer in the movie was a, a bolt of lightning that hit the clock tower. But I think one of the reasons that movie resonates so deeply with us, isn't that really the question so many of us are asking? We're gonna, where am I going to get the power to make it through the next year? Where am I going to get the power to make it through this month? Shoot, sometimes I wonder, where am I going to get the power to make it through today? Well, I have some bad news for you. Doc and Marty aren't going to suddenly appear with 1.21 gigawatts for you. They're just, that's not going to happen. That's fantasy. But I have some good news for you. There is a power source available to you today and tomorrow and every day until you cross that finish line. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, um, oh, Father, my, these, these few words that I speak seem so inadequate to, to express and communicate the infinite depth and wisdom of you and your word. My only hope is the power of the Holy Spirit goes forth. And, and I remember the Holy Spirit taking a few loaves and a few fishes and multiplying them. Father, would you take my meager words and, and miraculously multiply them and let them nourish my friends here today? And may all of us experience the power of the Holy Spirit. That's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.